My name's Rick Lowhorn. I'm the missions pastor here at Stephen Street Baptist Church, and uh, we're going to start a little different this morning. I'm going to share about our pastor here in just a minute, but uh, I want us to sing a song together, and you'll see the connection in the message here in just a minute. But I'd like for us to stand together. It's a very familiar song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Sing it out. The world. Yesterday around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Pastor Scott got in touch with me and said he was sick and he needed someone to preach today. I immediately responded without knowing anything about what I'd say today. Uh, yes, I do that. And uh, he said he had called Andy and Pastor Andy and Andy had said the same thing. He'd do that. And he said, why don't you guys get together and come up with a plan? Uh, so I got in touch with Andy and uh, with all Andy's responsibilities on Sunday, I'm the missions pastor, I just stand around and smile. Uh, with all of Andy's responsibility though, uh, we decided it'd be best if I, uh, if I came up with something. I had typically, when stuff like this happens, and those of you who uh, hear me on Wednesday night, I always just pick up where I am. I mean, it's whatever God's doing in my life, where I am in my time with the word, what, what God was trying to work out in me, he has messages. And I told Andy, I said, there's a text that I've been reading that uh, I, think, I think God's got something there. So, okay, so here we are. Uh, you may be a guest and you may be saying, what is going on in this church? You know, <laughs> listen, uh, this is kind of cool, really. Uh, I don't get to do this much. Uh, I enjoy sharing the word of God anytime I can, but it would have been better if Scott had been here. And I know that you would like to hear him uh, preach. So guess what? That means that you are so welcome to come back next week. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Scott has been out of the pulpit. This is his fourth Sunday. And he is, a, he is called to preach and teach. Okay, that's not my calling. He is called to do that. Men who have that calling on their heart cannot not do it. So he is burning within to get up here and preach. Uh, so I would be surprised if he's not here next Sunday. But if he's not, you can still come back. You can still come back because you, through the leadership and the power of the Spirit of God and God's work upon this church, you are what we are all about. And we so want to reach you and, and be everything that we can to help you find what God wants for you. So all that said, let me start by saying, again, I'm not the preaching, teaching pastor. I'm Rick Lohan, the 
the mission. I get to do what is best. Uh, I get to just help people, tell people about Jesus. And then I get to go along with them at times. Uh, before I introduce you to the message, I want us to start by just reading the text for today. And if so, if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 20. This is kind of where I've been in my time with the Lord for a long time. And it, Paul? Yeah, we, we do D group together, and so we've been in Acts for a long time. So in, uh, in Acts chapter 20, I want to stand in honoring and the reading of God's word, and I'm going to read uh, verses 28 through 32. So let's read together. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I command you, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would open our hearts to your word. And Lord, I know it, it is the word that pierces us and touches us in places nothing else can. So God, as I share, I pray the word would go forth. And we love you, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, I, I have a, a couple of apologies to make. One, I apologize to our discipleship pastor because I've just messed everything up. And I'm not preaching out of the Ten Commandments this morning. I just thought about that. And uh, I apologize to the life group leaders because I'm not in sync uh, this morning. You would have heard another message out of the Ten Commandments. But from 3 o'clock to this morning, the best I could do is where God was working on me. I couldn't go there. So I apologize, Tommy. So um, all that said, what I want to do today is talk to you about uh, a phrase which I think really hits home with Father's Day too, even though that's not what I'm talking about, and that's staying the course, staying the course. Friday at 1 o'clock out here, uh, I met a group of uh, people from our church, uh, 14 of them, along with all their baggage, there they are, uh, headed to Romania. And I asked them, I said, I want you all to stand up here together and let me get a picture of you. Really, the reason for the picture was to send it to our connection in Romania, Elijah, to make sure he had enough vans there to pick them up, because look at all that luggage. And uh, so they did, and as they were standing there, I asked them a question. I said, uh, would you uh, sing a song with me? On my way down the mountain to be with them that day, this song that y'all just sang, uh, just, I hadn't been, it been a long time since I'd sung that song, but I was singing that song in the truck coming down. Do y'all ever do that? Andy, you ever sing in the car? By, you know, all the time. Uh, by the way, I think that's a Christian father. What do you think? Is that a good characteristic of a Christian father, singing in the truck? Everybody seeing your mouth move when you're up at that light. But I was singing, you know, that I just wanted. It was just a great song. So, and as I also was uh, coming down the mountain, a verse came to my mind. And this was interesting. The verse is out of Hebrews, familiar text. Therefore, since we are summoned 
by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That song, that text came to my mind. So as they were standing there, we sang that song, and I read that text. I didn't know why, but I just knew the devil would never put that in my mind, and we needed to do this. So as they were getting prepared, we sat there, and just it was just a great moment of worship and considering the Word of God. And they packed up all those, took two vans to get them and the luggage uh, to get them down to Atlanta. So there they took off, packed up. They were going to catch a flight in Atlanta at 10.30 that night. <clears throat> Long flight, you go through Amsterdam, connecting flight there to Budapest. Last leg of the, of the trip is a four-hour drive across the Hungarian border into Romania to a town called Aradia. And so uh, they were on the journey. I thought, boy, so it's good. They had gone through a real battle up to this time, making this project go. And there they were. And I felt like there's nothing can go wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Mike laughs because he knows the story. When I got down there, I was at home in my pajamas that night, you know, kind of enjoying. I'd, it, folks, it takes a job to get a project like this out. So I was kind of glad to see them go. And uh, so they were gone. And, uh, I, but it, you know, the hard work, but now the big work for them had begun. And I was sitting there at home with Amy and uh, watching a little Obi-Wan Kenobi and uh, not to give Disney any plugs, but <laughs> we, uh, we got this text. I sat with my phone usually, especially when I got projects like this, and I got a text from Gerald Bryant, the leader. He said, you got to call me. So I called him. There was a holdup at the checkup. One of the tickets was not going to go. And uh, I said, well, what's the problem? He said, you, you got you to do this. And I said, what's that? And he said, get this, folks. The woman at the counter wanted to FaceTime with me. Here I am with my pajamas. And she wants to FaceTime with me. New World, FaceTiming from Atlanta counter to Rick Lowhorn on Pfeiffer Mountain. And she wanted to see my face and connect to the credit card that had been used on that one ticket. Now, I use that same credit card for all the tickets. But that one ticket, she questioned. And so I FaceTimed her, smiled big, gave her, you know, let her see the credit card, let her see my driver's license and all that stuff. And uh, she said, okay, good. And so I said, all right, things are in good shape. You know, they got through. Not true. Just about 10 minutes later, I got a text from Joey Norsworthy. He said, hey, you need to pray. A person who had been on our student mission project, Luke Bryant, was supposed to meet him down there. Well, he wasn't there yet. And uh, all the difficulty, the hour and a half before flight, folks, you're supposed to be at an international two to three hours before hour and a half before flight he's not there and uh, he's got to go through check-in got his luggage all this stuff and get out there so <clears throat> long story cut short Luke made it they all got on the plane to Amsterdam it's clear to go the story's not over <clears throat> all right they get through Amsterdam which was really 
concern of mine because of the COVID thing is really bad there. We're leasing up here in Amsterdam, kind of tightening down. Didn't know what they were going to do, but I got a text from Gerald, said, we're all on the flight to Budapest. I said, oh, great. All on the flight to Budapest. They then almost, I mean, almost before I, because there's, what is, what is it, Mike, eight hours, nine hours, before I could even take a breath, I thought, well, they're on the flight. They were in Budapest. And I got another text from Joey Noiseworthy, one of the team members, and he said to me, everything's good, but when we got the luggage, none of our checked luggage made it. Folks, we got 14, really 15 people, all their checked luggage. Personal things are important. This is a dental medical project. Guess what's in those bags? All of their supplies for the project delayed. And they're sitting there with no luggage. And so being a pastor, you know, I felt like I need to encourage him. <laughs> I sent a note to Gerald and I said, you know, God's got a great work for y'all. Because for all these problems, there must be something pretty amazing that y'all are going to do. I gave him a scripture text to read, ease his mind. And uh, so he sent me a note back and he said, well, <clears throat> we're going on. We're going four-hour four trip, crossing the Hungarian-Romanian uh, border into Aradia, four hours. We're going on, and we're going to send somebody back this morning, Sunday morning, to get the luggage in Budapest. So they're going to send somebody back. I got up this morning, got a text. They've gone, you know, not knowing. Listen, we got people in a truck or a van or something, two or three people, crossing the Hungary-Romanian border with all that luggage full of medical dental supplies. And I've crossed that border many times, and sometimes it hadn't been real easy. At times they go through everything. At times they go through nothing. But with this situation, I just, as I was sitting there, grabbed my phone, somebody may have said, Rick's looking at his phone. I grabbed my phone, I got a text from Gerald. The person in Budapest got his hands on the luggage. They do have it. They got to cross the border, okay? Will y'all do something for me? Collective prayer in the scripture is powerful prayer. In fact, most, most of the time when prayer is mentioned in here, it's them praying together. It's not you praying in your closet. It's us praying together. Can we spend a few seconds, everyone in here, saying, Lord, please, get that luggage through, okay? Just let's pray that right now together prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Power in the prayer. I, what I'm praying, I'm praying that uh, the report I'm going to get is, we don't know what happened, but God must have done that. That's what I'm hoping. And then we can share with y'all the power of prayer. This life is full of great times, sad times, difficult times, and times to focus. I told Gerald, the leader, you heard what I told him, get focused, God's about to do a great thing. The challenges are so great that we need help at times to focus, don't we? You know, it's, uh, and stay the course. This project seems insignificant to the work of centuries of the church. 
It just seems, well, that's just a story. It seems insignificant. But this problem, I believe, is a picture of the battle. It is on. How has the church stayed the course? How has it, and how can we continue as individuals to stay the course? How can it happen? Well, that's what I want to talk about from this text today. Key point. Given circumstances, and you're seeing me read this. I don't have a computer up here. I got this is the best I could do. Flipping the pages and typed it up late, late last night. So if I say something wrong, it's because I typed it up quick. Given circumstances, good or bad, it is sometimes difficult to maintain focus on what is most important. Those things happening around us can at times just overwhelm us to the point that even though we may know what God says, even though we know what, is, what he says, we just cannot seem to embrace it at that time. Just can't seem to grab it then. People move. In fact, right here in this text we just read, Paul is leaving them. He says, I will never see you again. Have you ever had someone leave, just someone important, maybe pass away, but just leave? They had a job, move them somewhere. I've had that happen so many times in my life. Jobs change. Elections happen. Don't want to mention that one. Families change. Sicknesses, debt, pain, attacks from outside, and attacks from inside. You might think, which I would hope would be true, you might think, my faithfulness will prove out in those times. And, and I would hope so. I hope it for myself, but I'm going to tell you from my experience, it don't always work that way. Uh, it just don't always work that way. In fact, sometimes it's in the battle where your faith is really going to be, uh, become stronger. God's doing something. Some of the greatest Christians to ever live and serve God had those who they had ministered to and discipled turn away from them and leave them. Even our Lord Jesus, even Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, his disciples left him to the point that he looked at those that are closer to him and said, I guess you're leaving too. And Peter said, he didn't know what he's saying. He said, how can we, Lord? What he was saying, how can we leave you who speaks words of truth? How can we do that? But it happens. We have to stay the course. Why are we so overwhelmed by the circumstances of life that we would and will turn and let go of the truths that God has personally brought into our lives? Some of you may be sitting here saying, I'd never do that. This is the real problem. We think we would never do that. People who are committed to Christ could never be that way. Knowing what God says and not do it. You know, here again, I disagree. But, you know, we all, if we're honest to ourselves, would agree with the fact. We live in this battle, and it's in this battle where a great deception happens. It's in the battle. Satan wants you as Christians to not accept the problem that you are being confronted and slowly becoming so unaware that you live comfortable in the problem. You just, you just live there. All of us, all of us are in this problem to different degrees. We live a state, and I've termed it this, 
a state of, quote, less than. It's a less than state. What God, it's less than what God desires for us in this life. We just live in this less than life. We just live there. Where is, you say, okay, where's an example in the scripture? And of course, there's many examples, but I'm gonna, I want to tie to this scripture and take a journey. Let's just consider what happens in Ephesus. It's where after Paul leaves them with this great warning of caution, there in Acts 20, 28 through 29, Paul warns them of things that they would probably never expect. Then he tells them in Acts 20, 31, therefore be on alert. Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease, key word here, to admonish each one with tears. That word admonish means to warn or reprimand someone firmly. This wasn't a giddy situation. It wasn't always, you know, you know, Paul was fighting the battle, and the battle was a battle of admonishment and correction and telling people, this is where you should be. This is who you are. This is where you should be. We know that Paul is going to get to Rome. He's leaving them on his way to Jerusalem, the journey. He's going to stay there and be imprisoned for a season. He's finally going to get to Rome. When he gets to Rome, he's going to be thrown into imprisonment, kind of, and he's going to write some letters, and one of them is going to be a letter to this church to Ephesus. That letter can be divided, and it's going to connect. And the letter is divided typically by people who teach into two two sections, the first section, three chapters, and the last section. The first section is all about who we are in Christ. He's telling us, wow, you are so blessed. He uses these phrases. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Christian. He says, you have the riches of his grace, riches. He says, you have been lavished with this grace. It's like a, a cup being overfilled with water. God's grace is just so amazing. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of God. He made us alive together with Christ. And then he says, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. And then the last part of the book, he says, okay, that's who you are. Now, walk it. Now, be that. Be who you are in Christ. In the remaining parts, he uses terms like show forbearance. Show forbearance to one another. So much of this about relationship and community in our fellowship. He says, preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace to mature in your faith under the equipping of the church. To work together for the uh, growth of the body. Walking as children of light. Standing firm against the schemes of the devil. He says this, that's who you are. Now walk it. Paul is telling them in this letter to remember what he had warned them about and told them to be cautious when he, before he left them. He told them to continue to be cautious and here are some of the things you can do to stay the course. He's in jail. It's two or three years later, at least two, maybe three. Does this information do the job? Do they stay the course? Well, later... Paul's going to come out of jail. <clears throat> he's going to spend a season. We don't have a whole lot about this, but he's going to end up back in prison 
again. And this time, it's not a kind place. And he's going to uh, suffer death. But he does write a last letter. And the last letter is to a disciple of his, Timothy. And guess where Timothy is? Timothy is pastoring in Ephesus. He is right there with those group of people. Paul is going to write him this letter, and you would think, wow, it's his last words, and he's going to just tell him all kinds of great things about himself and praise him and, you know, give him such great hope. Well, this letter is a, really a letter of challenge. Timothy has to be challenged to remember. Timothy has to be challenged to not be ashamed of the gospel. Timothy has to be asked to guard this wonderful treasure. And the reason, and Paul points this out, almost everybody in Asia had abandoned him. This is the apostle Paul. You'd think, nobody's going to walk away from him. They walk away from Jesus. They walk away from Paul. And here he's challenging Timothy to stay the course in this difficult time. What are some things that we can uh, do to help us walk this path, this difficult path? Well, that's in the text. Stay in the course, the first thing. And it just sounds so elementary. It, I mean, it sounds like, okay, why is he preaching that? This is the powerful truth that Paul set these pastors, he really talking to pastors in Ephesus, set them on and told them, I'm leaving this with you. I'm not going to be here again. He said, guard yourself. He said, be on guard for yourself in verse 28. In order for the body to be on focus, the parts must be. In order for the body to be on focus, on track, the parts must be. Satan will start with a part and then use the part to corrupt the whole. It always works that way. As we have already discussed, when Paul wrote Ephesians, his first focus was in reference to who they were in Christ. When he wrote 2 Timothy, his focus was to remind Timothy of an earlier time in which Timothy had such a beautiful faith, expressed really something he had been raised up in by his mother and his grandmother. Paul challenged him to remember this. This is always a first essential important step. We must remember all that God has already achieved and then focus on him. How do we guard ourselves? How do we experience what God has done in our lives to guard ourselves? Just a couple of points. We must be willing first to examine ourselves, not others, ourselves. Okay, we've got to look at ourselves. Paul was always consistent with his truth. As he communicated to Timothy how to maintain focus on the church, Paul would challenge his disciple and us through the years to always begin with a close look at ourselves before ever thinking about leaving someone else. As we consider the impact of our relationship with God on the relationship that others have with him, it should drive us to our knees with a brokenness and yet great boldness. He tells Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. We must examine ourselves, not just looking, but being honest. Here, And I said this in the last service. You're going to fall asleep right here. 
because this is what you don't want to hear. And a lot of times, we'll just shut this out totally. Me included. I don't want to hear these things. Don't tell me to look and be honest with myself. You don't know me. God does. And he wants us, like he told Timothy, be honest Look at yourself, examine yourself, be honest with yourself. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And thirdly, we must not, please, we walk this lie. We, before I was saved, I said, I don't want to be a Christian. If I do that, I'm just going to have to stop doing this and stop doing that. I shared the gospel with this guy one time. And I knew he was going to get saved. I looked at him and I said, so, do you want to trust in Jesus? He said, no, not right now. I said, well, there's, there's a couple of reasons. And I usually don't go past that point. There's no reason to. But I said, there's a couple of reasons you're telling me that. One, there's something in your life you figure you're going to have to give up if you trust in Jesus. Or two, there's something you have yet done you hadn't done it yet, but you feel like if you trust in Jesus, you're never going to be able to do it. He looked at me and he said, how did you know that? He said, I'm going to a motorcycle rally next week in Florida. I said, that's cool. So you think if you trust in Jesus, you can't go to that rally? He said, yeah. I said, just the opposite. God wants you to go to that rally. He said, but I may do some things that I, I said, that's not the point. The point is, you trust in God. He'll change your life. What we will try to do is change ourselves. We got to remember to, to guard ourselves. We got to examine ourselves. We got to be honest with ourselves. And we got to remember we cannot perfect ourselves. We've got to turn to God with a repentant heart, just like getting saved. Just like it. We got to face reality. He said in the scripture, and John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians, for our proud confidence is this. Listen, this is true. The testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, that we, we will so think we're smart enough to figure this out. We're, and that's, I believe, the worst in the United States, any place in the world. Hardest place to testify for Jesus is right here. I was up in Boston just a couple of weeks ago, the very center of the humanitarian mindset. And boy, this one lady said, well, stories about Jesus, that never work here. <laughs> she was the epitome of the reality that people feel like in their fleshly wisdom, they can please God. But they can. Stay in the course equals guarding yourself. And secondly, it's guarding the flock. He said in Acts 28, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock. <clears throat> now, I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm not a pastor. Uh, you know, in order, let, let's walk through this. Guarding the flock, I must accept the fact that I am responsible for and to the church. Okay. That's not just the pastor. Why does God refer to the church as a flock of sheep? 
You teachers know that answer. I mean, my teacher used to use words we shouldn't use, you know, as far as sheep being, uh, you know, not the smartest animals in the world. But they're just animals that were created like this. And if they, if they get in a difficult place, they get fall on their back and get on, can't get on, they can't get back on their feet unless somebody does it for them. They also need somebody to cut their wool. They are so dependent. And that, I believe that's why God chose to call us sheep. Is we, we don't want to be, but we are 100% dependent. Jesus said that he was a good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus chooses to break down his flock. We got part of the flock over in Romania now. There's Christians all over the world. But God chooses to break it down. And in the scriptures like this, they're, they're all over the church at Ephesus, church at Philippi, church, you know, the churches everywhere. God breaks his body down in the local church fellowships, and he appoints under shepherds. You know, Scott Parkinson, our preaching and teaching pastor, Scripture said he's worthy of double honor. Okay? He is called for that. The pastor is to give oversight to the flock, to take care of the flock, and the flock is to look to him for leadership. But the church is made up of many parts. And all the parts are interdependent on each other. Scott can't do what he needs to do without you. You ever think of his dependence on you? He is helpless without the church. Pastors can do nothing without the parts. They're just a part. In 1 Corinthians it says, For the body is not one member but many. It says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you're suffering this morning. Scott's sick, and you're having to listen to me. You know, praise God, the Word of God doesn't change. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm reading some of scripture. And we must recognize the key role of our under-shepherd. But at the same time, remember, remember, remember that all are responsible to guard the flock. Each member should recognize how important they are they are, yes, 100% dependent upon Christ. There is no question, but you're also 100% dependent on each other. When one part, okay, I'm an engineer, and I, I do things like engineers a lot of times. That's why you're seeing an equation up here. When one part of a plan fails, the whole plan ends up where? Less than. It does. doesn't matter what the plan is. You get somewhere, but it won't be where it could have been. One part, one of you, impacts the outcome. Where we as a body can get. We'll get somewhere, and it'll be pretty amazing, but it won't be where we could get. We must recognize that. I must recognize also the value of the church. Why is the church so important? Listen to this scripture. There. Be on, I got to finish. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made your overseers, the shepherd to shepherd the church of God, which he purposed, purchased with his blood. That's the value of the church. And then lastly, I must recognize, always recognize, that the attack is real. He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things 
to draw away the disciples after them. Boy, I, you know, I've been a Christian since 26. I've been a, a pastor here on staff for almost 20 years now. It's crazy. In those 20 years, I've seen so many great churches go down. And it's always because they get their focus off. They get it, they just get it, mis, they get misdirected. They're drawn away. The enemy will try to derail the church from its focus. Satan and the world know that the best way to do this is to draw the disciples away from the truth of the Word of God. So, to stay the course, I must, my, I must guard myself and guard the church. But what can I take away from this? Three very simple things. The battle is real. I'm not going to say much about this. The battle is real and has always been a lie. It's always been there. We must be honest with ourselves and guard our lives against personal attacks. And third, we must recognize that all of us, every part, is especially important in this battle. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this time, and thank you for your scripture. God, it is, it is amazing. I thank you, Lord, that even in times like these, we can always go to the text. And the Word of God touches us in those tender spots. Nothing else can do that. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that they just have no idea about what I just said, they are so distant from it, and they wonder, do I know Jesus? Lord, I pray that the Word would touch them and, uh, and draw them to their point of conviction. And they would say, I can't change myself. And let go and trust in Jesus as our only hope. We love you, Lord, for it's in Jesus' name.